0: everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. For today's show, we're going to look at something that's been taking place over the last week and a half or so. Um, it is the middle of March over here. It's the 12th of March today, and there are a lot of reports last week and some filtering in at the starting of this week about the destruction of ancient artifacts and sites in Iraq on the part of the Islamic State. So... I just thought this would be a really interesting topic to look at, it's, it's sad of course, um, these are unreplaceable items and, and history, cultural history of Iraq, so today I'm very happy to have Christopher Jones on the line, and he is a PhD student in ancient history at Columbia University, so he's going to tell us a little bit about this and about these ancient sites and their significance. So first of all, thank you for coming on the show Christopher.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So why don't we start off by looking at some of the sites that the names are popping up that have been destroyed or damaged by the Islamic State and their significance in history. So why don't you give us a little history lesson on some of these really beautiful and amazing sites that we're losing?
1: Well, the uh, most shocking video was from Mosul, where... ISIS fighters smashed a large number of statues and artifacts in the Mosul Museum. Uh, there were really two groups of artifacts that were destroyed in that video. One were artifacts from Assyria, uh, from the 8th, 7th centuries BC. Towards uh, the end of that video, they were seen chiseling a face off of what's called a lomasu, which is a very large statue of a bull with a human head and wings. These were built inside gateways. One uh, in the video guarded the Nergal Gate in Nineveh, which is the ancient city of Nineveh is in the middle of modern Mosul. They were seen as some sort of protective deity Um, protective spirit, I should say, that guarded the doorway. The ones at Nineveh were some of the few that were still in their original location where they were found. Most of them were taken to Baghdad. They were taken to the Louvre. They were taken to the British Museum. There's some of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. But those were some of the few that were left in their original location where they were time of the Assyrian Empire, and the the other main group of artifacts were sculptures from the city of Hatra, which is in the desert south of Mosul, about 70 kilometers from anything really, but in the first and second centuries AD, it was a very important trading stop. And it became very, very wealthy, uh, and in a very large city. It's about six point four kilometers around the circumference of the wall. It was a Parthian, uh, Parthian client state, but was in the seam, so to speak, between the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire. So there you see east and west. Meat. You see it in their artistic styles. You see it um, in their sculptures. You've got classical influence sculptures, statues of Greek and Roman deities like Hercules and Venus. You have um, sculptures in the Persian style wearing these long robes like Parthians wore. Uh, You see these Ancient Near Eastern deities like Shamash uh, and Nergal. Shamash was a sun god in Mesopotamia. Nergal was a god of the underworld. Really a huge mixing point of cultures. And unfortunately, you see a lot of that being destroyed. Four statues of the kings of Hatra were smashed in that video out of 27 that are known to exist.
0: So, oh, go ahead. Sorry, you were... I was just going to ask, so when we look at all of these significant sites and this history that is being lost, it's being destroyed, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Mesopotamians and the Assyrians in general. So we have these sites that are attributed to these ancient cultures. Who were the Mesopotamians and who were the Assyrians?
1: Mesopotamia is a, a Greek term uh, for, yeah, it means the land between the rivers. Uh, the people who lived there would have called that uh, the land of Sumer, or the land of Akkad, or the land of Assyria, different sections uh, moving from south to north. Well, civilization starts in the far south of Iraq, where the Tigris and Euphrates meet the Persian Gulf. That's where you see all the first cities, Uruk, Ur, um, Lagash, and there's, there's Sumerian was spoken as a language. There's Sumerian became the first written language. That's where you see the first administration, um, administrative texts, organization on a level never seen before in human history. Uh, the wheel was invented. Uh, you see it long-distance trade and more advanced economies. That's where, yeah, civilization begins. The history is quite complex. Um, Around the end of the third millennium BC, a group of people called the Akkadians, uh, led by Sargon, conquered all all of the Sumerian city-states and created a new empire that lasted for a couple generations. Uh, There were foreign invasions. It collapsed. Um, Sumerian culture was reasserted for a couple hundred years. Then Hammurabi came along from Babylon, conquered the south, Created a new empire. Um, Akkadian became the dominant language, replacing Sumerian. Now, if you fast forward down to the early first millennium BC, that's when the Assyrians really become the predominant world power. Now, Assyria had expanded and contracted several t- times in the second millennium. They had large trade links uh, into places like Anatolia, but their fortunes rose and fell several times. It wasn't until about the 9th century B.C. that Syria began to assert control over Syria. Eventually, they captured Babylon By the time of the 8th century, when Nineveh was Assyria's capital and those Lamassu were built, Assyria controlled everything from the Persian Gulf to the border with Egypt.
0: So going back to the events that have recently taken place, at the starting of the talk, you talked about some of the carvings and the artifacts being original where others might have been replicas to uh, provide what the site would have looked like or semi looked like in ancient times do we have any idea of a percentage of what was original artifacts artwork versus what was a replica that has been destroyed
1: um, well, I don't have an exact figure, but I can say that, sadly, the number of replicas is very small. In the video, there were a couple shots of re- copies of relief sculptures from the British Museum. Um, unfortunately, well, those were not shown being destroyed, so doesn't tell us much. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to the sculptures from Hatra, there was one sculpture of a goddess seated on a throne holding a globe in her hand. That was a copy. Uh, There was a sculpture of Hercules that was a copy. And there was a sculpture of a, a giant theater mask you guys take a sledgehammer or two and knock off a wall, that is probably a plaster cast. Other than that, they're all originals. They're all irreplaceable artifacts. Mm-hmm.
0: I've actually personally um, been to the British Museum and have gone down... There's one setup that they have for art of Mesopotamia, Assyria, ancient Uh. Iraq, um, where they have like a whole hallway, I guess you could describe it, with a lot of these reliefs on the wall and and the depictions of the different winged gods, and it's, it's very impressive and very beautiful, and you think that to have these actual artifacts and wall reliefs, carvings, in their original site I mean, the impact must be that much more impressive, that much more awe-inspiring, and to think that now a lot of these have been either highly damaged or completely destroyed, it's its really sad. It's very heart-wrenching for someone that loves ancient art. One thing that I found quite interesting looking at some of the ancient cultures, especially in Mesopotamia, um, you have a lot of these records of um, the idea of gods waging war against other gods. And and the other gods might have been represented by different towns. Like Each town might have been assigned to a god. And you get these images of gods smiting cities and, and looking at the videos of ISIS in the museum and and they're carving into these scenes with power tools and so forth, the reliefs, you kind of get this weird deja vu that, in a sense, ancient history is being played out in modern times on the, the side of ISIS. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, uh, there was a rather funny, well, darkly funny tweet that I, I saw by an Iraqi who said that, uh, ISIS must not believe that God is all-powerful because they feel the need to protect him from statues. <laughs> it's, it's rather strange, yeah, I thing to think about, but ISIS seems to have, uh, view of the divine that most people thought was replaced with the coming of monotheism to the Middle East.
0: I was wondering if you could describe for our listeners some of the reasons behind this destruction, the ideas that ISIS has about, you just alluded to it just now, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on that for listeners that might not know so much about this group and their reasons behind the destruction of these artifacts.
1: On well, the video they said so themselves that they were uh, destroying these statues the same way that Muhammad destroyed the idols kept in the Kaaba in Mecca when he captured that city in 629. Um, so they're trying to draw a not just a religious link, but a political link between themselves and the armies of Muhammad in the early days of Islam. Um, on another level, some have interpreted it as a, an attempt to erase the history of Iraq's Assyrian Christian minority. And I, I think that's part of it, but I, I think on a broader scale... It's an attempt to erase anything, well, not just pre-Islamic, but anything that doesn't conform to ISIS's interpretation of early Islam. You know, if there's nothing left in existence except that which supports ISIS's doctrine, you could get to a point where all everyone knows is ISIS's interpretation of Islam. I think that's their goal in in destroying a lot of these things. It's an act of ethnic cleansing, more or less, or cultural cleansing, I should say. They're trying to erase all potential opposition, not just by killing people, but by erasing ideas.
0: We saw, of course, a similar instance back in the early 2000s. I think it was 2001 when the Taliban destroyed the Buddhas, and you know there was also a huge outcry from the international community. And with this instance recently, with ISIS's destruction of these artifacts and these sites, um, international community was yelling and calling it a war crime and so forth, which. Leads me to wonder, we have a lot of international laws when it comes to historical cultural sites as well as crimes of war. And Hatra is on the UNESCO list, so mm-hmm. list of um, important historical sites, world cultural heritage sites. And I was wondering if you could look at this idea of it's not just – Artifacts being destroyed. It's not just sites being destroyed. This is, as you just said, an attack on the cultural heritage of Iraq, of a nation. So, looking at this, you know, we have some laws, but how effective really are they when you're in a situation where a lot of things are completely unlawful? Um, you know, it's, there is not a police force, there is no security. So, um, what can be done and what really can't be, in, in the future even.
1: Well, you're right. It is definitely a war crime. Uh, Article 53 of the first Geneva Convention prohibits destroying historical monuments, works of art, and, and places of worship. Uh, the 1954 Hague Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict protects monuments, arts, archaeology, Books, manuscripts, museums, archives. It calls on all parties to avoid damaging cultural property except by military necessity and also creates the obligation to put a stop to looting and vandalism. Now, in Syria, absolutely no one is following any of this, um, nor are they following any other aspect of the Geneva or Hague Conventions. So, as to what can be done, um, I'm not sure. I think a lot of these situations highlight the difficulties that international law as a concept is going to face in the coming years. Uh, with non-state actor conflict and hollow states, failed states. I mean, it it really presupposes the Westphalian state system. And as that deteriorates, uh, I don't know what sort of efforts to mitigate the effects of uh, the destructive effects of warfare are going to take its place.
0: And I can remember back to during the Iraq War, we had a similar concept that came up when the Baghdad Museum was sacked and, and amazing artifacts disappeared or were destroyed. And there is this outcry by the, once again by the international community and this idea of how far do international laws, the ones that you were alluding to, the different conventions, how far do they really actually protect items of cultural heritage during the time of war and I have a feeling it's going to be a debate for a long time from the sounds of it. One thing I'd like to look at is the Islamic State, they have a lot of sources of income that keep them running. One of them that we do know is this idea of selling antiquities, items that are valuable on the black market. So I was wondering if you could look at this a bit and, um, yeah, tell us about that a bit.
1: Um, Yeah, it's widely reported because it makes a good story. Um, However, the main income source for ISIS is oil, uh, which they smuggle into Turkey, sell on the black market. Uh, That's the main source of employment for people in ISIS-controlled territory, and the, generally the reports that have come out, for example, Martin Chulov in the Guardian last summer he had access to some accounting documents that were captured by the Iraqi military, which listed looting as a major source of income. However, looting doesn't just mean looting archaeological sites and artifacts, it's also looting people's cars and TVs and furniture and anything else that's not nailed down. Um, I believe ISIS and their uh, Sharia judges label it Ghanim or uh, spoils of war. And anyone who comes into possession of Ghanim has to pay a 20% tax to their local Emir and then they can pocket the rest. So it's it's very hard to say how exactly how much of that is from antiquities. Now, the, the satellite imagery that's been collected does show that a large amount of... There's a large amount of looting everywhere in Syria, but most of the sites that have been industrially uh, if you've seen the satellite photographs of Dura Europos, for example, it looks like aerial photographs of the French forts at Verdun in World War One. There's just holes everywhere where people dug up the entire site looking for things to sell. Uh, those sites are mostly in ISIS territory. However, they... Some of them, like Dura-Europos, were most heavily looted before ISIS captured the area. Uh, so once again, it's, it's hard to determine exactly how much is benefiting ISIS versus other groups. Um, generally, it's not the ISIS people that are doing the digging. They have to go fight. They let locals dig. And then they have to pay ISIS a cut of anything they find, any money they make. Then the artifacts get taken to Syria or Lebanon. I mean, not Syria, excuse me, Turkey or Lebanon. Uh, They get smuggled across the border. Border guards are paid to look the other way. And then there's middlemen in Turkey that buy them sell them to markets in foreign countries. These middlemen are, from what I understand, usually members of the Turkish criminal underworld. So tracking artifacts once they get into Turkey. Difficult, if not impossible, as well. And then who's buying them? Uh, Who knows? Some of them could be sold in the West, Some of them could go to, you know, we have a chance of identifying some if they're in the West. If they go to Russia, if they go to Saudi Arabia, if they go to China, there's no way, no way of knowing.
0: And say one of these artifacts gets into the hands of a private collector, and maybe down the line someone recognizes it as one of these items from... Iraq, the the museum, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of repercussions for the purchaser are there? I mean, do we have strong set international laws on this? Or how does that work exactly? I mean, does it need to be returned back to Iraq? What is the step afterwards if an instance like that took place? Well, if
1: something comes up, um, it would be considered stolen property because Iraq has an antiquities law. Um, archaeological artifacts that are dug out of the ground are considered state property. Artifacts in the Mosul Museum are absolutely considered state property. So those would be returned. Um, whether the purchaser would have be liable Criminal penalties. I don't know. Probably would depend how far away they were from the smuggling aspect of it. Um, but uh, if something from the Mosul Museum showed up, we could compare it, you know, with museum inventory. We could compare it with pictures taken of the museum before it was destroyed. We could identify those things. We, you know, if it were published, compare it to the photos in the publication. But a lot of the stuff from places like Mari, Georgia, Europos, ancient sites that people are just digging in the ground and pulling out stuff. There's not going to be any way of knowing because no, nope, you know, this, these are things that hadn't been found before. There's nothing to compare them to, except that. You know, some artifact showed up on, at an auction house that wasn't like anything anyone had seen before. Then it would probably have false paperwork, anyways. So a lot of these things, yeah, once they once they're dug up, they will be very hard to uh, find again in a way that would give scholars any information.
0: And looking forward, do we, are we hearing anything about areas that have more of a security force under Iraqi security force military? Are they at all stepping up security around museums and sites now that this has taken place in the off chance that maybe that will be another target for the Islamic State? And do we hear any reports of that?
1: I haven't heard much. Um, the Iraqi antiquities minister called for the United States to use military assets to protect um, to protect ancient sites uh, but given our strict rules of engagement and things of that you know just issues with flying from bases so far away. I'm not sure how that's really possible. Um, I think the Iraqi military is mostly focused on winning the war rather than protecting archaeological sites. Uh, that is something we, we tend to forget as scholars of the ancient world that there are sometimes legitimately higher priorities than saving ancient artifacts.
0: Very much so. So looking at what has taken place, I mean, what does this mean for the cultural and historic legacy of Iraq? I mean, we've lost things that future generations might be able to see in photographs and books and so forth, but the real thing is gone. So what does this mean for Iraq as a culture, as a nation?
1: That's a a complicated question. Um, I wrote a blog post last fall that I was afraid would be very controversial, but it ended up being very well received. Um, I described uh, Qasem, General Qasem Soleimani's strategy in Syria of recruiting local militias to buttress the Assad regime of the National Defense Force, I believe it's called, and then described how he's doing the same thing in Iraq uh, very successfully. I believe uh, Martin Dempsey said this week that out of 24,000 troops taking part in the offensive against Tikrit. Uh, 20,000 of them are Shia militias backed by Iran and then General Soleimani is at at Tikrit in person commanding the operation. What this means is that the post-colonial national boundaries are being deconstructed and what's going to replace them. I don't know, but, um, what I wrote in my article was that archaeology is going to have to come to terms with the fact that Arab nationalism is dead What I meant by that was that governments like the Assad regime, Saddam Hussein's regime, supported archaeology, they supported conservation of cultural heritage, and a lot of good things happened because of that. A lot of sites were excavated, a lot of sites were preserved, a lot of native Iraqis and Syrians became interested in ancient history, a lot of them began careers in archaeology but there was a dark side and it was also being used as a tool for promoting the sort of national unity uh, that in support of the regime as we've uh, you may have seen these rather goofy wall murals that Saddam Hussein had painted of himself as an Assyrian king riding in a chariot you know with, like helicopters and tanks following him um, he rebuilt Babylon uh, with bricks stamped like, rebuilt in the reign of Saddam Hussein um, and I th- that things are not going to go back way they were. And archaeology and heritage conservation is not going to have that type of support that it once enjoyed. And uh, the new powers on the ground are going to control that sort of thing. You know, if you want to dig in Kurdistan... You will have to go through the the Kurdish regional government, whether it's officially independent or not. Um, And I think that will be a major... I'm still trying to figure out the implications of this. Um, I think that will be a major change in archaeology. It may close down certain areas for a very long time. Um, You may not be able to excavate in Sunni areas because it won't be safe. They'll think archaeology is a tool of governments they were fighting to overthrow. There may be groups like ISIS that want to destroy artifacts for theological reasons. Um, And then on another level, there's... um, Another factor is just poverty and economic devastation. I believe there was a UN report that said the average lifespan in Syria has dropped 20 years since 2011. Uh, There's, you know, people have to eat and heat their homes in the winter. And sometimes the only way they have to do that is to dig for things they can sell. Which is, is very sad but at the same time I don't know what else to t- <laughs> I don't know what else to tell someone who has a choice between that and starvation so that until there's a restored functional economy that has other ways to make a living I, no matter how much people val- may value their own cultural heritage. I think uh, that sort of uh, digging for, or small-scale digging for sale of looted artifacts will continue.
0: Well, as you alluded to, the the need for survival trumps the need to preserve ancient artifacts, if that's what's going to put food on your family's table for... Hmm a day or two or a week, whatever the amount of money they receive for it. So unfortunately, it sounds like a very bleak potential future for the ancient artifacts of Iraq and Syria. Um I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Christopher, and lending your expertise in this subject, telling us a bit about some of these ancient sites that were destroyed. And just thank you for spending time with us on the Loopcast today.
1: Thank you for having me
0: enjoyed it. Thank you.